don't give up. Those words may be hard to hear sometimes, but they are powerful. Hi, I'm Greg, one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. Whether you are in the midst of struggle or just short on strength, join us in this series as we draw strength and courage from God's Word. Are you afraid of anything? You know, like spiders or dogs or the dentist or clowns or flying or maybe flying clowns? Or perhaps you're afraid of pastors? Well, I think we all have some kind of fear, uh, exterior fears, you know, things out there that we're afraid of. Uh, As you know, many of you, I don't like snakes. And I tell the story of uh, golfing one time, probably now 20 years ago, up at Pine Mountain uh, Golf Course. It's just a little course up in the mountains in Fraser Park. And I was out there with my buddy Eric, and we were on a par three, probably 120 yards, and I hit a ball, and it flew right over the green and the backside of the, um, of the green and went down a hill. And so I got up to the green, and, and like I said, this, 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 this um, putting surface, it was kind of rounded off of a hill. And so I went to the back right side, and, and I looked down, and there my ball was, probably about 20 feet away. And I'm like, okay, great. And so I began to make my way down the back side of this hill, And I got about 10 feet away from my ball, and I froze. I mean froze, paralyzed in fear, because my ball, my $2 golf ball, landed right in the center of a coiled rattlesnake. We looked eye to eye, and I could tell he was saying, you're not going to get this $2 golf ball. And I wasn't about to question him. I felt like time stood still. When I finally unfroze, I turned around and I ran up that hill and I got to the top and I'm just frozen in fear, white as a ghost, shaking. uh, And my buddy looks at me and says, what happened? It's like I had just seen God speak to me in a burning bush or something. Well, I told him what had happened. I hate snakes and I'm afraid of them. And don't mess with me with that. What are you afraid of? It's kind of, I mean, those are real fears, but really at the end of the day, they're they're here nor there. But I want to ask the question again. And I don't want you to talk about the exterior fear. I want us to go deep below the surface. I want to talk about, are you afraid of something inside? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, the things that are deep within us that we don't want to laugh about and joke about, the fears that fuel many of our lives, fears of failure, fears of insecurity, not being good enough, not being smart enough, fear of disappointing others, those kinds of fears. Well, today in our series, Don't Give Up, I want to talk to that specific topic of fear. And I want to give you a second key on how to not give up, built off of last week's first key of keep believing. This week, it's keep, keep fighting. Let's pray. God, it's good to be in your presence. Thank you for that amazing time of worship, and we pray that your name was lifted up. And we pray, God, that that time was able to prepare our hearts for the message that you have in store for each and every one of us. 
I pray, God, that my words would not be shared, but your words will be heard. And especially for that person that sits paralyzed in fear, Lord, may the defrosting happen right here, right now. God, I love you, we love you. In the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. I, um, I want to introduce you to a book. Uh, it's called Fearless by Max Licato. And uh, the only reference I want to make in this sermon is right here at the back of the book. I want to read to you something that Max Licato writes. He says, each sunrise seems to bring fresh reasons for fear. They're talking layoffs at work, slowdowns in the economy, flare-ups in the Middle East, turnovers at headquarters, downturns in the housing market, and up swings in the global warming. The plague of our day is terrorism, and, and the word starts with tear. Fear, it seems, has taken a hundred-year lease on the building next door and has set up shop, oversized and rude. Fear herds us into a prison and slams the door. Wouldn't it be great to walk out? Imagine your life wholly, wholly untouched by angst. What if faith, not fear, was your default reaction to threats? If you could hover a fear magnet over your heart and extract every last shaving of dread, insecurity, and doubt, what what would remain? Envision the day when you could trust more and fear less. Can you imagine your life without fear? Well, as I said, we're continuing a series on don't give up. And, and last week we talked about faith and this week we talk about fear and we're sharing a key concept and I've already shared with you today's key concept and I want you to say it with me. Keep on fighting. Ready? Keep on fighting. Let's do it one more time. Keep on fighting. And today, just like last week, we're going to look at somebody's story and hopefully draw courage from it. We started last week in Hebrews chapter 11. I'd love for you to open up your Bibles at this time. Uh, many of you have it on your uh, mobile devices, the U, uh, version app, the free app uh, of the Bible, so you could download that if you haven't done that yet. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith. It starts off talking about faith. It talks about hope. And then it gives a series of names of men and women who, who lived their life and navigated their way through difficult times and came out on the, the healthy end of it because of their faith. Last week we looked at Noah, and then we're going to, Noah, Abraham. And now we're going to look at another person's life. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So there it is. There's our person today. We're going to take a look at the life of Jacob. Again, the cliff note, cliff note, cliff note version. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, we're, we, we start with uh, Abraham last week. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and then Isaac uh, is married to, to Rebecca, and they have uh, twins. And we're going to look at this in uh, the book of Genesis. So if you want to turn there with me uh, quickly, that would be wonderful. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, 
And so uh, we're going to get there, and then we're going to go to verse 24. Genesis 25, verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, that's Rebecca, uh, there were twins in her womb. The first came out and was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. I didn't make that up. You just read it yourself. He was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named, what's it say? Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved who? Rebekah loved Jacob. So here we are introduced to these, these two twins. And, and we know that Esau's the older one. We know that he's kind of the man's man. He's the, he's the guy out there uh, fishing and hunting and, and, and gets outdoor magazine and, and, and probably, uh, well, we'll just leave it at that. And then, and then there's, there's Jacob. And Jacob is described as a mama's boy, maybe the very first mama's boy. And uh, it's really uh, an unhealthy environment because as you read in verse uh, 28, it says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Like, you're not supposed to have favorites. Easton, my youngest son, is always asking me, Dad, who's your favorite? And I always say, you are my favorite youngest son. And if you don't know, I have two sons. But here we see clearly Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. This is messed up. You might be thinking, come on, Pastor, you're over-exaggerating. I don't think I am. I think this is messed up. I think this is made-for-TV stuff, like Jerry Springer kind of stuff or Dr. Phil kind of stuff. And so right out the gate, Jacob is swimming upstream for his father's attention. If you've been around West Valley Christian Church long enough, you've heard me say this, and I'm not going to delve into it much. But I believe, having lived this on this earth for almost 52 years now, I believe people are the way they are for a reason. We don't just wake up and are the way we are for no reason. And I have a whole, um, I have a whole sermon about why I believe that to be true. But I'm going to save that for you. But really, in regards to fear... I also believe that's true. People are the way they are for a reason in regards to the fear that you and I have that's inside of us deep, that, that, that fuels most of how we act and react to life. Many of our deep-seated fears come from events of our past. Now, you don't have to agree with me, but that's, that's what I believe. As I've listened to a lot of people uh, over the last 30 years, and as I look at my own deep-seated fears. So here we're going to go and look at how, how this plays out in, 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 um, in Jacob's life. And I want you to write this down, bad start. Because I, I'm just going to say he had a bad start right from the get-go. Um, he's being raised by parents that have caused the house to be divided and uh, in, in some unhealthy ways uh, that you will see. And so 
how he had been impacted as he was raised is going to play out in the fears that I think he has in his own life of chasing after not being good enough, not being smart enough, not being like his older brother, not being loved by his father, and this is going to drive and fuel the fears of, of, of how he lives this out. So Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, how cool is that? I wonder if it was a cast iron skillet. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, I don't think he just thought of this at the moment. I think he'd been scheming for a lifetime. One of the things I didn't tell you is the name Jacob. What it means is liar, deceiver, conniver. And you're going to see this played out. So his, his brother's hungry and, and famished, and, and then Jacob's reply is, hey, I'll give you some of this, but first sell me your birthright. First sell me your birthright. What? Yeah. First sell me your birthright, and then I'll give you some stew. And then you look at verse 33. But Jacob said, uh, uh, he says, look, I'm about to die. Actually, in verse 32, what good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling him his birthright to Jacob. Now, again, I realize we're sitting here in 2020 and we're thinking birthright. What does that mean? But in the context and in the culture in which this is being read, this is everything. You see, the birthright was something that was uh, held, held high value. It was given to the, the eldest son. It, it, it was a position of, of honor. Yeah, you got the double, uh, double um, uh, inheritance. Uh, you had political and social status. You, you were going to be the patriarch of the family. This is a big deal. And because, and because in the womb, Esau made his way out first, maybe, Esau, uh, maybe Jacob was jealous from the very beginning, as that scripture said, he was holding on to his heel. Maybe they're fighting out of the womb for that, that, that birthright. And so I can imagine for days and months and years, Jacob's trying to think about how he could get that birthright. And here's his opportunity. I know it sounds silly. It doesn't make sense. A bull of stew for the birthright doesn't seem like a fair trade. I know you and I have all been involved in trades that weren't so fair. I, I have to share a story from when I was eight years old. Maybe this is just a therapy for Pastor Rob, but I love getting baseball cards. I still do at 52 years old. And uh, I think it was 15 cents a pack. And boy, that was a lot of money. And I'd save up my money and I'd get those packs of cards. And I remember that wax on that pack. And I remember peeling open those packs. And there's only one kind of card I wanted to see. And it was Dodger players. And I always wanted to find Steve Garvey. He was my favorite Dodger at the time. But um, so yeah, I had a high value on Dodger cards. Well, there's a kid that lived across the street. And I'm guessing he was around 15 years old. He was in high school, and he also liked to collect cards. But I also think his name could have been Jacob because he was a conniver and a schemer and a liar. Okay, maybe he wasn't that bad. But he would come over and make trades with me that I look back on and go, man, he got me. But I remember one of those trades. He came over to Robbie Denton. He says, hey, I got me a Dodger. 
Do you have Burt Hooten? Well, Burt Hooten was a Dodger, a starting pitcher for the Dodgers. He wasn't one of the best, but man, I didn't have a Burt Hooten card. He goes, I'll trade you. I'll trade you this Burt Hooten for your George Brett. I'm like, George Brett? Sure, he's on the Royals. They're a bad team. I don't care about him. Well, he knew exactly what he was doing. Because if you were to look today, which I did, a Burt Hooten card from 1974, 1975 is worth about nothing. And a George Brett rookie card can be worth around $200, $250. But if it was a graded rookie card a, with a 10 grading, that card goes for $40,000. Well, here's my point. Bad deal. Well, as bad of a deal as this was, a bowl of stew for a birthright was not a good deal. And I want to tell you something. This was not the only bad deal that Jacob made with his brother. And I want to continue to, to, to go on. If you're taking notes, you wrote down a bad start. Hopefully you wrote, uh, will write down this, bad choices. Because really bad start oftentimes can lead to bad choices. It doesn't have to. But in this case, you're going to see bad choices. The first bad choice was getting the birthright. And again, uh, you continue reading the story, and I'm going to get to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27, um, we're going to see in verse 1. Well, this is bad. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were so weak, he could no longer see. So Isaac's the father, right, who favored his son Esau. He called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I now am an old and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow and go out to the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Again, in our culture, that might not mean a, a whole lot, but the birthright is huge. That's like the contract, but the blessing is what is needed to make that contract good. That's the best way I could say it in layman's terms. It's a laying on of the hands from the father to the son, giving the blessing. It's the signing of the contract. Without that, even though Jacob kind of, not kind of, he stole the birthright, he, he tricked his brother into it, th that could still be fixed. But now with the blessing, uh, that's what's going to be important. So he says, so that I give, may give you uh, my blessing. Now, Here's what happens. You're going to read on, but, but Rebecca hears this conversation between Isaac, her husband, and her son Esau. So Esau goes into the country to go um, you know, hunt uh, uh, dinner. She goes over to her favorite son, Jacob, and says, Honey, I just heard your, your brother and your dad talking, and this isn't good. What I need you to do is I need you to go out and get a couple of goats, kill them. We're going to make a nice dinner for dad. And I want you to keep um, the, the, the skin and uh, we need the hair of those goats because we need to trick your dad. We need him to think that you are your brother. And so we're going we're gonna to put that hair on your arms because your brother's you know, got the hairy arms. Yeah, mom, I know. And uh, we're going to cook him a good meal and we're going to hope that he doesn't know it's you and that dad is going to put the blessing on you and not your brother. Well, it's one thing to think of something like that, but it's another to execute it. Well, they executed this plan. I was telling some people earlier, I'm like, I can't believe that. 
Like, it was so bad, this fear that was so deep-seated in his heart that it would cause him to do and be things that he really probably didn't want to be. And before I pick on him, I think we're, we're much the same. I, I think a lot of us are driven to do things today in our lives because we're fueled by the fear that's within us. And we find ourselves compromising doing things that we w- never thought we would do. And this is why we got to figure this fear thing out beyond snakes and flying in planes and clowns. But that stuff that's deep-seated in so many of us. So verse 18 of chapter 27, the story continues. So Jacob does what he, uh, his mother requests and he puts the hair on his arms and he goes to the father, gives him the meal. He says he went to his father and said in verse 18, my father, yes, my son, he answered. Who, who, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I, I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may, so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked him, how, how did you find it so quickly, my son? And, and you can see, even though he's blind, he's not dumb. He's, 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 he's sensing something's up. The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Again, I'm sorry, I'm just human, but he's lied to his dad, and, and now he's lying about God? Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I could touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac and touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? There's still this questioning going on in his heart, he asked. I am, he replied. Again, he lies to his dad. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing." You could feel Jacob's heart racing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. And he did. And now, through his lying and deceit and conniving spirit, he's taken the birthright and the blessing from his older brother. Inner fear does this to us. It drives us, like I said, to being someone we are not. The bad start led to bad choices, which led to number three, bad, or let me put it this way, (laughs) a pattern is set. Bad start, bad choices, and thirdly, a pattern is set. I don't want to delve into this too much. But you know what I'm talking about. I think all of us know this slippery slope. And it's hard to read this and not think about how fear has played out in our life. Well, Isaac finds out, and he's livid. The Bible actually says he trembled violently. Wouldn't you, as a father, being deceived by your own son? Well, 
again, much happens, but eventually Jacob flees. He runs away because that's what fear does. It just takes us to another place. We think it's going to be better. We're going to be able to hide. But the truth is, the problem is we may be in a new environment, but we're still the same old us. I've said this many times. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. So we can change our environment, and sometimes we need to change our environment. There's nothing wrong with that. But the more, more important thing is that we need to change us. And we have to face the fear so it stops driving us to, to paralysis and driving us to, or to driving us to, to running away. But we need to stand up to it. We need to, we need to keep fighting to be who God created us to be. So, so he finds his uh, way to another land. Actually, uh, it's his mother's brother, uh, uh, Laban. And uh, there he gets a job and, and everything's wonderful. And he's working the land. And uh, he, he comes across this woman and, and she's beautiful. And she's everything that he, he wants. And, and he negotiates with his uncle for her hand in marriage. And the uncle says, hey, you worked for me for seven years and you could have her hand. But the conniving doesn't stop and the lying doesn't stop just where Jacob is. But Jacob gets a taste of his own medicine because on that seventh year, on that night where he's going to marry this, this woman by the name of Rachel that he's been adoring and working so hard for. The dad did a switch, and the next thing you know, he is married to the older daughter, which he has no feelings for, no love for. He didn't work seven years for her, but now he's stuck. He's irritated. He's been caught in his own game. He goes to Laban. He challenges him. Then he says, I, I really want your, your daughter, hand Rachel. And, 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 and Laban's the uncle says, you know what? You work seven more years. You can have her hand. So he went and worked another seven years. He got her hand. Then there's all kinds of uh, interesting, that hap- interesting things that happen in that relationship. And you could read about that in Scripture in Genesis chapter 27 and Genesis uh, chapter 28. But then there was this, this business deal that happened between his uncle and, and himself, Jacob, and there was a, a lot of livestock involved in it, and there was conniving and lying and scheming going on there. Uh, basically, uh, you know, there was this deal made that any spotted and striped animal uh, Jacob got and any, any pure, you know, clean, uh, unblemished animal uh, would go to uh, his uncle. And then there's just, there's just deceit all over this. It's made for TV movie. And, 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 and Jacob would, would set things up and, and, and to where, you know, ant, livestock with spots would be uh, mating with livestock that were good and healthy. And then, of course, they, the, the, the offspring would have stripes. And basically, he got all the strong, wonderful animals and the weak ones uh, his uncle got. But there's all kinds of stuff that happened there that caused him to have to uproot again take his wives and his children and all of his livestock and turn around and run back towards home. Because that's what fear does. It just keeps causing us to, to run and hide. And that's how this story continues on. And then, and then we read in verse, uh, uh, chapter 31, uh, chapter 31, verse 31, we see part of what, you know, I keep saying fear. And where do you get that, Pastor? Well, look at the passage. It says that Jacob answered Laban, why? 
he was asked, why are you doing this? He says, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. Fear continued to push this man's life. Maybe there was moments where he wanted to just throw in the towel. Maybe there's moments when he wanted to take his own life. Maybe there's moments where he's like, I just can't keep living this life like this. And maybe some of you can relate to this. And there came that crossroads where he said, either I'm going to throw in the towel or I'm going to do something different. I'm going to change. And I want you to write this down. Number four, change of heart. Change of heart. Genesis chapter 32, verse 9. In all of this, we don't hear anything about Jacob's relationship with God and conversations with God, but when he's at the end of his rope, ready to throw in the towel, chapter 32, verse 9, it says, Then Jacob prayed, O God, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had my, only, my, my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, he says, I pray. From the hand of my brother Esau, for, for I am afraid. There's that fear again. For I am afraid. He'll come and attack me. And also the, mother, the mothers and their children. But, but, but you've said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Keep fighting. You can't overcome your fear on your own. Probably the greatest thing you can hear right now is this. Surrender to God your fear. He is greater than any fear that is deep-rooted within your heart and soul. God has my back. God has your back. God has Jacob's back. God didn't go, well, Jacob, you're an awful person and you've done this, this, and that. No. Jacob turned to God. He changed his heart. And then in verse 24, so Jacob, in chapter 32, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that this could that he could not overpower him. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that, that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let go, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go and, unless you bless me, which the, the man asked him, what, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. And then the man said, your name will be no longer Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But, but he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called this place, and, and it's because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. 
church, we've come full circle. Remember I said there was a wrestling going on between, but between an angel and, and, and Jacob, and, and here it is. It really, you would think it would be Esau that was the one. He's the man's man. He's the one that the, the quiver. He's the one that's out in the country. He's the one that could shoot the, 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 the animals and bring it home and cook it. But here's the, guy, the kid that stayed at home. Here's the kid that had fear driven him to, to, to do stupid things and, and make bad choices, and yet he had a, a moment of repentance it's a moment of, of, of change of heart, a moment of turning uh, to God and starting to turn back towards his, his very fear. And he wrestles with God, and he wouldn't stop. He kept fighting, even though he didn't know what the end was like. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. Keep fighting. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what has gripped you. I don't know what's deep-seated in you. But keep fighting. Keep holding on to God as he holds on to you. You've got this. Robert Frost says this, the only way out is through. The only way out is through. We can't keep running. We've got to face the fear head on with God Almighty, just as Jacob did, and came out on the other end victorious. Jack Canfield, who is the author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, a motivational speaker, he says this, everything you want is on the other side of fear. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. You and I need to pull up our big boy pants, our big girl pants, surrender to God Almighty, stop running, face it, and we too will have victory. In conclusion, we learn that a bad start led to some bad choices which led to a pattern set, but it wasn't set forever. A change of heart and a humbling and a turning to God and a spirit of perseverance keep fighting. We see Jacob go from Jacob, liar, to Israel, which means God strives. Will you trust God? Will you keep fighting? God bless. Remember, Lord, your tender mercies and your love. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. And your love that you've always shown me You forget all my rebellion